0: And I can't deny the fact that you like me right now. You like me. Hello, everybody, and welcome to our Oscar season episode. It's that time of the year again, folks. It is the time of year when we all go, who are they going to give trophies to? What I'm talking about there is that they basically just give awards to themselves <laughs> because the people who are in, in those categories vote for it. it's kind of weird when you think about it. It's basically an award show for themselves. Ah, <laughs> uh, yes, but it always is an interesting <laughs> show, just like the Golden Globes was. On you never know what's going to happen. You don't know who's going to win what, and I mean sometimes there's there's certain givens. You, you know what I was found odd about the
1: whole Oscars, a lot of people will tune in and watch them even though they haven't even heard of some of the movies that have been nominated.
0: Right. Yeah, they haven't heard of them, but they're all very excited for that movie to win. Yeah, much less seen. (laughs) Yeah. It is... The Oscars always is interesting because... Because they have all, all... Because they just have a best picture category and they don't separate it into, like... Independent movies and big-budget movies, it's just, they're just all clumped together. It is interesting because...
1: Oh, I think we all know that most big-budget movies
0: are kind of not welcome. <laughs> well, I mean, not usually, but you got to remember that Return of the King yeah, did win Best Picture and ten others. But that—that that is what's interesting, is that you just don't know what's going to happen, and yet a lot of times... You can pretty safely assume like, oh, that one's probably going to win Best Picture because I've barely heard of it. <laughs> or all the critics seem to say that that one is on their top ten list and so it's probably going to win Best Picture. Because that does seem to be the the trend of Oscars where um, if there isn't just like a movie like Rocky or Return of the King where there's just kind of this big cultural culturally affecting movie that they just kind of give it to the one that feels like smart and artsy or whatever it happens to be at that time period. um, And usually the big budget movies end up winning like best visual effects <laughs> or something or best sound editing or best song or something like that. Like when Adele won for Skyfall. Yeah. But even like best song, you know, a lot of, sometimes or a lot of times, you know, that'll even go to a documentary. Yeah, you know, like like Lady Gaga's nominated this year for a documentary. Yeah, that's that's crazy.
1: I wonder if she wins this time, she'll kind of just uh, walk up stage and just kind of kind of bump into Leonardo DiCaprio and look down on him like she did at the Golden Globes. <laughs> like, how dare yeah. you get in my way, mortal? Well,
0: that was kind of more of blowing out of proportion. I think you could. She looks like she's maybe just kind of in a daze. And he didn't even know what was going on because <laughs> I think he just wasn't paying attention because <laughs> he's Leo. He's been there a million times and knows he's not gonna win. Oh wait, he did win that night. So he probably said to himself, "Whoa, she she got nominated for acting. What? Who's this crazy person? <laughs> what is she doing here? And why isn't she wearing meat?" But yeah, um. So yeah, we just wanna. We thought we'd just throw some of our uh, before we find out who the new winners are for twenty. 16 although it's for 2015 movies. Um we'd go in and go into the past here, open up the vault and look at some of our past
1: dust off um, the cobwebs.
0: Yeah, our past favorite winners more or less focusing on like the best picture category and best director category just because uh, they're just kind of the most uh they're kind of the easiest ones to look at and and kind of have a, get a general consensus of of the movie, but before we do that though, what are some there there are a lot of still you know big performances out there what are some performances Dakota that have won oscar that they've you know they won acting Oscars for that you liked best acting ones yeah just anyone in the acting category that you thought. Um well the they big... always thought okay yeah they deserve that. Uh I think the big one uh for
1: me uh no one's going to be surprised Anthony Hopkins for Silence of the Lambs.
0: <laughs> yeah. And he was kind of was that for it must have been for a supporting actor yeah. since he wasn't the lead. Yeah. Uh,
1: yeah, he wasn't the lead in that. But uh it was just I mean in most movies uh especially movies like that they kind of get overlooked it seems like uh we had uh, Gone Girl not too long ago, uh which I thought was a really good movie. So did a lot of other people, just completely ignored, even though it had some really good acting in it. Uh and plus he 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 was Hannibal Lecter. I mean that was one it wasn't too long ago, it was back in ninety
0: one. Sons of the Lambs?
1: Yeah, yeah, it was like ninety one. Yeah, so it wasn't that far, that far long ago, and he just did such an amazing job. I mean, to this day, he's his performance in that is still just kind of creeping the creeping out people who watch the movie, and just kind of A- AFI when they did their one hundred villains. Uh, uh, list. He was number two. Actually, scratch that. He was number one. Darth Vader was number two. Crap. Got to mess that up. (laughs) uh, Yeah, and it was was just an amazing performance uh, and just blew a lot of people
0: away. Yeah, I I mean, he was known for – I mean, that's how a whole generation really knew him was he was Hannibal Lecter. (laughs) Yeah. You know, and so – Yeah, I guess for me, some performances I've I've liked are – well, a couple of them come from – they both dealt with World War II things. But I would argue that the one, even though World War II is the set piece, that the movie kind of transcended that because it was more of almost a character study. And I'm referring to uh, George C. Scott's uh, portrayal of Patton.
1: Ah, classic movie.
0: And that movie, I always have felt – and I mean, it's not like – this is me having some original idea. I mean, I'm sure other people have thought of it this way. It, it really is a character study of one man and how he, just how his personality and things like that just kind of shaped how he treated the time period in war that he happened to be involved in and, and how it made him very off the wall, um, kind of to a lot of people he wasn't what's the word where he wasn't everyone's cup of tea yeah he just kind of wasn't everybody's cup of tea and he did things that weren't probably the the best way of handling things but man george c scott my goodness just he's just riveting in that movie you're just like gripped by every moment he's on on the screen which he's practically in every shot of that movie and uh and what's what's interesting i guess just in terms of winning the oscar is that even though he won there's kind of an asterisk you know there that he didn't accept it he didn't show up and he just kind of rejected rejected and i think part of it is he's just kind of one of those eccentric actors and you know it's kind of one of those things where it was just kind of his statement of saying oh i don't do it for the awards i it's my art form you know or whatever and so there's kind of that but he he did technically win even though he did uh reject it and uh and actually we were just discussing how (laughs) he came back and uh uh did a seek a tv movie sequel (laughs) the last days of Patton in like 1986 or something and how that's very interesting how 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 many oscar winning actors come back and do a tv movie sequel (laughs) (laughs) um just not too many and 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 i think maybe we learned from that that maybe that isn't a good idea (laughs) Cause I don't think that's very highly regarded. Um, I haven't had a chance to ever see it, but another one that always kind of captured me where he really, he's the reason this movie's even remembered thought of and possibly even known to, to, to this day, which we're now pushing 10 years later. Um, and that's Daniel day Lewis's performance. And there will be blood. My goodness. What an another role where it's like you don't even feel the t- like, just like Patton is the same way for me. I don't even feel the time of the movie because I'm just like watching this so in character performance that it's just it's a, it's just quite a quite a thing to watch when somebody's doing it well. <laughs> and his performance in that movie of a man who's basically basically goes. Insane from his obsession with really more not being enough almost type of thing, it's almost a a story and greed is what it more or less is, and it's just just quite a performance, but yeah, just I feel like that in some uh. You know, I don't know how you felt about it, but I always thought Reese Witherspoon, she won for playing June Carter Cash in Walk the Line. I thought that was a pretty good performance. I thought she was someone who, that to me was an example of someone who maybe, even though she didn't look the part, she still was able to make the part her own to where you bought it. You know, because she was just, Reese Witherspoon was like 5'3". Yeah, (laughs) She's just this tiny little thing, but you know, she she made the part her her own and really captured the the kind of personality and persona of June Carter in a way that made it work. And so I thought that was good too. But
1: yeah. Yeah, one uh talking about uh another kind of iconic uh performance up there was uh that has always been one of my favorite would have to be Robert De Niro's uh take on young uh the young Don Corleone in Godfather Two.
0: Okay. Did he, he his, win for that?
1: He did. He really? won Best Supporting Role. Al Pacino uh was actually nominated for Best Actor.
0: Yeah, okay. But and, he didn't win?
1: No, he did not win for that one, but and it's odd because Oh yeah, did he didn't he not win till like Scent of a Woman or something? Yeah. yeah. Which, to be fair, that was them saying, "Here's for all the times you didn't win, sir," <laughs> and he was just like, "Hooah! I don't care. I won."
0: Yeah, exactly. And then he never stopped hooahing ever since. Yeah.
1: <laughs> <laughs> now he's all about the Dunkachino, but oh, that's, oh boy, that's a conversation for another day. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, he he says so very little in that movie, in Godfather Two, but. He's almost like the heart and soul of the movie. I mean, we, we watch his character from young boy fleeing Italy for his life, coming to America. Uh, eventually, he grows up, meets a girl, starts a family, and he's just this schmo trying to just survive in life. Uh, then one day, his neighbor uh, asks him for a favor, and he, he agrees, and he kind of gets caught up in this world of organized crime and he just decides okay this is this is my way out of this slum and it's it's pretty amazing too because marlon brando one of the greatest actors ever was was the older and greatest weirdos yeah was the <laughs> older don corleone and the two of them it's just so hard to tell which one acted them better <laughs> it really is and that's that's incredible.
0: I mean, who else can say that they they matched Marlon Brando. And I would just like to pause for a second for those of you eh, let's just call you millennials to give it a short phrase. We just want you to know that Robert De Niro used to be a really good actor. <laughs> we don't know what's happened to him recently if he like if he just needs the money or what, but uh the guy can act. Don't let these dirty grandpas and grudge meet, match meet the parents grudge match things fool you. The guys, the guy's an actor. Um, yeah, just well, same with Al Pacino. Yeah, <laughs> he he used to be able to act too. <laughs> I think maybe they still can. They just <laughs> don't have the right roles. I don't know. Maybe um, when you get to a certain age, the roles dry up. So you just got to yeah, take whatever well, comes your way. What's interesting about uh you know, the way they did Godfather 2 with with showing the Robert De Niro playing a young Marlon Brando story at the same time as Al Pacino. His story is how Michael was always thought of to be kind of like, in the first movie, you know, kind of the innocent one who kind of ended up having to fall into becoming, you know, yeah. the Don. And yet, that movie kind of shows that you almost realize that in a lot of ways, Michael ends up going a lot darker. Oh, yeah. Which is an interesting twist because you feel like Michael's the one who just kind of... But then he ends up going all the way to becoming the god, the godfather himself in a very dark way. And so it, it is cool how uh, Coppola, the way he, since he did it that way, how you get that mere thing and it makes you realize... It also gives you that that further look into Michael, Michael's, uh, departure, (laughs) I guess you could say into that role in life more. So, yeah. Um, but yeah, well, that's what I love about this show is we weren't really going to talk about performances that much, but here we did, but this is the code boys talk movies That's what we do. We talk movies. And so things just happen. And I like how it happened. And I like that. We ended up talking about performances more than we even thought we were. Um, It's all right. It's good stuff. Um, but I think what we're going to do now is we'll kind of go into maybe some of the, the directors and what they've won for and why we think that that was a great decision (laughs) on the Academy's part for, for recognizing that person. So, uh, what are some directors you thought of Dakota? You know what? I'm going to go back to
1: uh, The Godfather too. I had, <laughs> I had actually forgot Francis Ford Coppola had even won one.
0: Yeah, he did. He did.
1: You know, every time... Dakota it's... likes The Godfather, as you can tell here. <laughs> well, no, it's just because every time a director puts out a movie, there's always that tagline, From Academy Award-winning director... You don't really see that. I know he hasn't really done much. Yeah, he doesn't
0: make many movies is
1: the problem. But in the 90s, he was still doing movies, and you never had that. Never, like, the, well, the mastermind
0: behind the Godfather series. Well, that's because he made, like, The Rainmaker and The Black Stallion or whichever one of those black horse movies he made. Where, so it was just kind of like... He did Dracula, which I, yeah. I thought was pretty cool. But again, with that, it was kind of like... I don't know, that's not a movie you really tout the director of God the Godfather you know and that's the thing he's just because he does so many different things it's really hard for him to tout that you know use that as like a a selling point you know without misleading people maybe
1: yeah no i just find it interesting because a lot of people consider apocalypse now his greatest movie and i think it was nominated for just a few
0: yeah, and he, he's probably just happy people remember that movie because it sounds like that movie was a nightmare to shoot yeah. and make and that it, like, just was an absolute mess <laughs> that we have anything at all, I guess. All right, Steven,
1: quit, quit puttering around. Let's talk about Steven Spielberg.
0: You talking about Steve Spielberg? <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, he is one that crossed my mind because uh, I, I
1: think that's what a lot of people are expecting us to bring up.
0: I mean, yeah, we're gonna bring it up because it it is it is weird. But I think it's an ex- you know it's just an example of uh, you know this is gonna get the best picture. You know, Shakespeare Love, but you're still gonna get the the best director because you were the master mastermind behind you know, that great film, you know, when, when Steven Spielberg won, um, for Saving Private Ryan and how, and, and I think that's a very deserving Oscar win for him. Um, and also I think it was a nice, a nice, uh, kind of cap off for, you know, this would have been late nineties that he got this where it was just like, we were almost just thanking him (laughs) for everything he did before that too, because, Um, you know, just the guy who gave us so many great iconic movies over the years, like Jaws and Close Encounters and Indiana Jones and Jurassic Park and, uh, you know, just really gave us a lot of movies that, uh, got a lot of people excited about making their own movies or just watching movies or made you not want to go swimming in the ocean or made you think that um, cloning with DNA was a bad idea, or just anything, I mean, he just, he just made a lot of iconic movies with iconic characters, and, and, uh, I think it was a little bit that, but also, even if this was just for saving Prime Ryan, which, I mean, it really was, in a way, um, man, yeah, he just crafted, whether you really don't really know, some people have, Strong feelings about that movie in the negative way. Where they really don't like it. And I I understand that. But I think you still have to admit that. There's a lot of craftsmanship in what he did with that movie. In that, you know, he directed a a modern classic in a lot of ways. Um, So, yeah, another one I guess I would bring up is just. uh, And this one's just kind of more for like you people care about maybe like film history and things like that is John Houston. He won best director for treasure of Sierra Madre, um, which was just, uh, Oh man, 1940s kind of adventure movie. But what, well, adventure mixed with maybe noir a little bit, but what was interesting about this movie, it was the first movie that was filmed on location. And and so it just kind of had this, uh, had this more realistic feel to it and and gave the adventure all that more adventurous feel, you know, and so I think you know that really helped John Houston get the best director for that in that he just uh you know, he was one of the pioneers in saying, let's actually go some let's actually go to the place, you know, and make this movie, make it actually let's put the actors in those places where they can um play this out, you know, and and maybe we are in the elements a little bit, you know, but okay, you know, and so that that's just kind of cool you one. Do you have any other directors? Dakota? Um one that I'm going to bring up that a lot of people aren't
1: familiar with, but you certainly are, is David Lean. Oh yes, David Lean.
0: He won for Bridge on the River Kwai and <clears throat> Lawrence of, of Arabia. Arabia. Yep, two um magnificent movies. Again, very, des- very deserving. Um, when you look at both those movies and just kind of the scope of what he would have had to have done with them. Yeah. Just, he was the guy in the chair who had to make all the calls for all that stuff. And dang. Yeah. Good movies, but yeah. Any other, should we jump into our best pictures?
1: Yes, yes, let's. Okay. Sorry, I was I was lost in thought. <laughs> I thought I had more, but I guess the tank's empty.
0: All right. Well, let's we'll talk about a handful of just our uh, our best pictures we we really enjoyed over the over the years and and what's 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 uh, one or two you got, Dakota? Uh
1: probably one of the finest acting acted films ever put on the screen, which would be
0: One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. Okay, yeah, I knew you were a big fan of this movie, and Jack Nicholson won, right, for performance too? Yes, he did. Um, Which is
1: actually pretty surprising because uh, there's not, compared to some of the roles he was in, like Chinatown, it wasn't that big. There's, I mean, there's hardly any, any real story to this. It's just all kind of raw acting. I mean, Louise Fletcher... Um, I think she was nominated, but I'm not really sure if she won. She should have for Nurse Ratchet. She kind of created that uh, archetype for the the just kind of evil. Yeah, and
0: what is the rundown of the story of that movie?
1: Um, Jack Nicholson's character uh, can't remember his name off the top of my head is serving time in prison, and rather than go to a a work farm, he kind of pretends. To be insane, so they send him to this psychiatric hospital, which is actually just a place kind of devoid of life and happiness, and uh, these patients kind of just have their their uh, daily routine they go through, Uh, and they've all just they're all just pretty much sedated. Nobody nobody wants to change anything, and that's how Nurse Ratchet would like it because it's nice and quiet. Uh, uh, I think I think it's even in this. Scatman Carruthers plays one of the gar- one of the orderlies in it. Uh, I think he plays the main one. But he, there's just a lot of very fine acting in this. Uh, Danny DeVito was in this <laughs> very young. Oh, yeah, he uh, would have been pretty
0: young in that.
1: Uh, v- God, what was his name? Stephen Dorff, the voice of Chucky. Uh oh what? no no not Steven Brad Dourif. Brad uh, Dourif, I'm sorry uh has a pretty a pretty good role in this one which is shocking because uh I didn't realize it till years later that holy cow that's that's chucky Grimma Wormtongue Grimma Wormtongue for some of you but
0: uh... yeah Grimma Wormtongue in
1: <laughs> in uh the Lord of the Rings series but uh, this is definitely one of the – a lot of people think this movie is kind of depressing just because of what happens to Jack Nicholson's character. But I think it kind of – I think it ends on a happy note because you have, this, you have this guy who's been locked up in there pretending that he's, he's brainless, uh, breaks free, and decides that he's going to go live his life because he remembers that he's still alive. And
0: you touched me, Dakota. <laughs> and, it, and it actually is cool watching
1: oh, a six foot five guy rip a sink off, off the floor, throw it through a window.
0: Wow. Yeah. That'd be something to see. <laughs> You've seen it, right? No, I think I've seen parts oh, of it. Oh man. <laughs> um, I know what we're doing next. <laughs> Uh, we'll, we'll let Dakota bring up another one, but if I'll throw out one first and we'll cut back to him. Um, Dakota did bring this one up a little bit just cause he did win director for it and for Lawrence of Arabia, but it won, uh, a, uh, blah. bridge on the river Kwai* won best, uh, picture in, and again, that. Just a very deserving one. Um, just a, This is an interesting movie, too, in that, th- again, this is a World War II picture. But a, it feels like a character study a little bit. You get into Alec, Alec Guinness. Um, a lot of people know him as Obi-Wan Kenobi. But this was 20 years before he was Obi-Wan Kenobi. And I think this is the role he'd rather be remembered for. And after you watch this movie, you understand why. And he did win Best Actor for this movie, but he just gives an amazing performance in this as a British officer who uh, who really works hard to make this Japanese, the the Japanese commander of this POW camp, follow the Geneva Convention rules and, and really... Uh, Alleginness in a lot of ways becomes a thorn in the side of of that of that man but then it it comes to this place where these POWs are forced to or their their job they're given is to build this bridge over the river Kwai and this is in where does it take place Burma or yeah i think, I think it's believe it's in Burma I think it's Burma and uh Alleginness is just he's he's so he's such a proud British man that he has this determination to make this be the greatest bridge, <laughs> and part of it is that he thinks, "Oh, we can use this bridge as a as a symbol of like our determination, ingenuity, even with this situation." Um, but then there, you know, there's some element there. You know, William Holden is in this movie and he plays an American who's at this place, and there's some opposition to how alec guinness is handling this whole situation um and it becomes just i mean just the whole movie just just everything about it is just a really interesting movie if you like if you like those type of pow world war movies if those are your kind of cup of tea it's a good with that but if you just like a good kind of human drama too i mean it's it works so well on that level Also, but man, what a movie! I love it more every time I watch it. I just do. Um, What's another one you got, Dakota?
1: Um, Another one I have is something from my childhood that, even though its star is kind of not well liked anymore, (laughs) I I think the movie. Oh, I know what
0: he's saying now. (laughs) I think the movie is
1: still amazing, and I love every moment of it. I'm referring to Braveheart. Mm. It was a toss-up between this one and Gladiator, but I'm not going to lie. This one, just every moment of it, I loved it growing (laughs) up. Still love it to this day. Uh, No matter how crazy Mel Gibson gets or what he says, it's not going to destroy the
0: just beauty and soul of this picture. And I think if you're honest with yourselves – we you'd understand most Hollywood actors are crazy. He's just yeah. he's the he's one that got outed as, you know, crazy and they all just you know, kinda of blackballed him in that category, but you can't take away the fact that this guy could act and man he nails it. Yeah in he, Braveheart.
1: Not only did he star in this movie, he actually directed it. Uh which from what I heard, I've never acted
0: and I've never directed but I'm told it's actually very hard to do. Yeah, I've heard that too. That it's a it's an extremely daunting, t- especially when you're making a movie that's this epic in scope. Yeah. Oh my goodness, can you imagine? Because yeah. you're trying to direct these giant, like, battle scenes, which it, which is which is okay. You're directing these giant battle scenes, but here's the thing. You're also the guy leading the charge in that battle scene, you know, you as the director. And so, you know, I've seen some behind the scenes footage where he's basically kind of jumping behind the camera, making sure everything's gonna kinda pan the way he wants it to pan, and then he goes back and does his
1: yeah. does
0: his thing in the movie. I mean, this takes someone with, with energy, but not only that, you have to be uh you have to really believe in the movie you're making. Um, yeah, he, to do something like that,
1: he had help with the uh, uh, Randall Wallace wrote the um, just, just
0: perfect script. Probably Randall Wallace's best script. Um, I was a fan of his We Were Soldiers, yeah, script also. Um, but yeah, this is probably his best script. I mean, he wrote Man the Iron Mask, and then movie's was okay. He wrote Pearl Harbor, and I'd be curious how much of his Pearl Harbor made it on screen. (laughs) Maybe most of it. Maybe that just wasn't one of his better scripts. I don't know.
1: Yeah, Um, with those things, it's very hard to tell. It's
0: just hard to know with that. But, yeah, this is – he just had a – yeah. But if you'll notice there who we said the screenwriter was, we said it was Randall Wallace. And if you remember, this story is about William Wallace, and that's why Randall Wallace wrote this movie is that he realized that – this William Wallace is way far back in his ancestry and he decided to do some research on him. And then this movie was kind of the, the fruition of his research into his kind of ancestry. So yeah, kind of interesting, interesting stuff. And maybe that's why it's his, one of his better scripts is that he just cared more, <laughs> Yeah, you know? And I guess there's that too, but it was more than a job. So that yeah, was so uh, to speak.
1: a, us. Kind of a big moment in history that kind of got forgotten
0: about, yeah, a lot of people kind of forget uh the impact uh King Edward the Longshanks as they called him had, you know, and just and just who he was and and uh what a great and a, and a lot of people forget about the Scottish uprising, yeah, what a great name for a villain Longshanks <laughs> played by the masterful. Patrick McGewan. Yeah, unfortunately
1: he wasn't doing much much work at that time, but he showed up, gave it his
0: all. Oh, totally. Oof. He's just a sleaze bag <laughs> yeah. in this movie. Um in all the right ways, and what I mean by that is you just do you just he's exactly how you're supposed to think he is. Don't like him. <laughs> so, uh
1: All right, Stephen, what do you got for us?
0: Yeah, I guess uh Next one I'd like to bring up is, uh, (laughs) we're only coming a couple years after (laughs) Bridge on the River Kwai, Uh, Ben-Hur. Yes. Wow. You know, this is a movie I picked up on Blu-ray, I don't know, a little while back. And, man, um, time does not hurt that movie. And it's just... uh, Compelling story. Charlton Heston probably in the best role he ever played. And I don't even care if you think Ten Commandments is a great movie. I still think Ben Hur is his best performance. Uh and uh this this movie is just is just great. He plays uh character, Judah Ben Hur. Um is his full name and uh yeah, he's basically uh well, there's like a series of circumstances that basically gets him kind of betrayed by a f who who you know, a friend and he ends up in uh, more or less slavery and then it's just kind of his his uh his story of going of of that of that process of it. Um but it's also the the book it's based off of is called it's called Ben Hur a tale of Christ is actually the title of the book, because what they kind of do is, is he's alive during the time that, that, uh, of Jesus coming. And so they kind of have him through his life. He runs into these places where Jesus just happens to be doing one of the significant things that, that, uh, that Jesus did. And so it, 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 that kind of plays into the movie and it's kind of interesting how they, they kind of tie that in and, and what they do with that and and like i said uh charlton heston just gives a really um great great performance and my goodness this whole movie even if the whole movie was mediocre or if most <laughs> of the movie is mediocre it's worth it just for the chariot race scene alone but you you have a good movie Plus you have an awesome chariot race scene and so I mean, my goodness, it just makes it even more one of the uh amazing to watch because that chariot race scene just blows me away. One of the great things about that movie that is
1: just remarkable which should be remarkable to anybody, or is just the the expansive sets they built. Oh my
0: goodness. Yeah, this is a movie where, you know, everybody's like, Oh, you know, Quentin Tarantino filmed Hateful Eight in like that Panavision widescreen, yeah. you know, and stuff. <laughs> but this is a movie that was just yeah just a feast to the eyes cuz when they had those just the big um the big shots and and that's what i mean when you're watching that chariot race you think guys i mean it's like are they actually killing themselves for this movie i mean it just feels like those guys are actually dying when they get trampled or yeah, something yeah this
1: is back before cgi so <laughs> yeah. all the sets you see all the stunts you see are are people all the extras you see those are real people. Yeah, I mean,
0: it's all "quote unquote" real. I mean, there's still movie magic involved, but yeah, like the like Dakota saying, like the extras still had to be there. I mean, they couldn't really t- do anything much about that, but I mean, yeah, there's actually a part in that
1: chariot scene where uh, you uh, you kind of see a guy fly forward into the horses. Yeah, that's a real guy, people. I know. I think about that. That's the one that
0: really gets to me. Like. What? There was no dummies used. No, you know. They didn't. <laughs> yeah. Somehow there maybe must have been dummies, but I don't know. Like, that's like, how did they do that? I don't know. <laughs> all's I A remember, really gifted stuntman. All
1: I remember hearing is the guy, like, managed to catch himself in between the horses before he went under oh, the hooves.
0: That is insane. That is insane, is what that is. But it's right,
1: adrenaline junkies. Let's see you try that. Just kidding. Don't do that. <laughs> no, You'll kill yourself. We're not
0: condoning what they're doing there. Um, but, I mean, you know, leave it to the professionals. Maybe let's put it that way. And then another kind of scene in that
1: movie that I think a lot of people just kind of forgot about is the scene where he's shackled in the boat and he's oh just my rowing.
0: goodness, yeah, you know that scene kind of has been parodied before. Um. But it doesn't take away from the power of that scene when you're watching it, and yeah, that that is a uh, an interesting. And again, that's another scene where it's like seeing all those guys in there, and you know, it's like it just—I don't know—you just feel the pain in that moment. <laughs> and yeah, it's just what a yeah, yeah.
1: You have the guy at the front banging banging on the drum, the
0: drum to keep so they keep rhythm because they're all paddling, you know, in a rhythm, and oh my goodness. Just think about that. I want you all just to picture like like an up like a rolling up and down type motion like for hours on end while a guy drums boom 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 the whole time. Imagine that. Yeah. Exactly. I know what you're thinking. Maybe my job isn't that bad. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, they they definitely do not make movies like this anymore.
0: No, and and that's why it is. That's why I think it is important for all of you to go back and and you don't need to watch like every crap fest that was ever made, but I you know like find these ones that you know like well it seems like a lot of people talk highly of that one or it seems like a lot of people talk highly but you know you know give it a shot. You just never know. And and you know these ones we're talking about here now that I think about it, we didn't even go back to any black and white ones, but you know, don't let black and white deter you too. There's some movies that I actually think that enhances it. Oh, because yeah. there's certain movies where Especially movies that are relying on like you know like those like certain intrigue type movies like the black and white just lends itself to that with like how they do the shadows and, oh, yeah. and things like that where it's just like oh you just feel it you know like uh, Casablanca yeah Casablanca would be the really the, like probably the most popular black and white movie
1: yeah um,
0: the big one
1: uh, Orson Welles is uh, Citizen Citizen Kane, Kane. which. Is
0: kind of the reason movies are the way they are these days. Yeah, he was really the pioneer in in modern filmmaking because a lot of what he was doing at the time was considered very eccentric. Yeah, and bizarre, and really what he was doing was just pioneering modern filmmaking. Yeah, one thing he used was uh, flashbacks. That
1: yeah, was not
0: that was <laughs> not a thing, people. No, he did a yeah, and and he, again, he was twenty seven. When he made Citizen Kane. First time directing, too. <laughs> War of the Worlds doesn't count, the radio show. Yeah. But uh, that was also probably his uh, downfall was the fact that you have a movie that is, like, untouchably a masterpiece in most people's minds, and you do it when you're 27. You got a lot of life left, and everybody's expecting you to make the next Citizen Kane. Well, then... the problem is, by making that film, he
1: made uh, he made a pretty big M- enemy that was... Uh... William Randolph Hearst. Right.
0: Was uh, really. Yeah, smeared him pretty yeah, bad. because the movie was
1: in part kind of based on his life.
0: Yeah, and, and if you know William Randolph Hearst's story at all, it's pretty noticeably based on him. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's not like it's like, you know, this guy's just trying to make, you know, something out of nothing. I mean, it, it's, yeah, it's noticeably <laughs> that. Speaking of, uh, yeah. Got any more?
1: Best well, the, the only ones? other
0: one I guess I was thinking of bringing up is one you you again kind of touched on was just Gladiator. Um, what a way to start the new millennium! Oh yeah, well that was a year two thousand movie, and 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 again you can go in this movie and you nitpick know, that not everything about it is perfect, but not, no no movie is perfect. But my goodness, this is still a good movie, very good movie. You know, I
1: was kind of hoping it would inspire more of the the sword and sandal epics. Yeah, but the ones kind that, of have
0: a comeback in those. The ones that came out were just—it was like, what were you thinking? <laughs> yeah, I'm looking yeah. at you, Troy. Yeah, um, Troy. There was just a few tiny little things about Troy that they got right, and by that I mean like, uh, the look of yeah. the, you know the greek soldiers and and the trojans and, and things like that you know it looked good but uh, <laughs> yeah and even even really Scott himself you know uh, kingdom of heaven yeah just quite didn't work um i think part of it is that when it's by the guy who did, did gladiator and they're billing it as the director of gladiator and they're showing these shots of swords yeah. and stuff you're kind of expecting more of it than you should have when it's starring Orlando Bloom, which he had technically kind of worked with in the past, because Orlando Bloom did have a small role in uh, Black Hawk Down.
1: Yeah, that's true. Um,
0: but I think what helped Orlando Bloom get that role was this: he was coming off of the Lord of the Rings trilogy, and was kind of the the, the kind of the fresh face it guy there. Because of that, um, you don't really hear much of him these days. What is Orlando Bloom up to these days? I have no idea. He I mean thankfully the- he got some yeah Peter Jackson <laughs> he was helped in him the Hobbit movies but
1: which a lot of people were asking why well,
0: It was kind of strange it was a little strange but yeah They are what they are Um but yeah do you have any other best pictures um one I'm going to bring up
1: here because it was it was a pretty big one and it was pretty important to its director Schindler's list
0: Yes. A very
1: um, difficult movie for Steven Spielberg to make because it dealt with Jews, uh the
0: whole concentration camps. He himself was, being yeah. a Jew. Yeah. Jewish. It was his uh passion project really and the other thing that's crazy about Schindler's list is he basically finished rapping, filming on Jurassic Park and jumped right into Schindler's list. Now I want you to think about that. Now he went from like Jurassic Park, you know, just like this big special effects dinosaur extravaganza into uh, just a meaningful passion project. But I think, in a way, maybe that was therapeutic for him to go from all those years of working on Jurassic Park into something that he cared so heavily about. Um, Schindler's List is not an easy movie to watch. Um, it's one that maybe you never even want to watch. <laughs> or if you do, like, one time. <laughs> this movie... Um, was just so so
1: great that when it actually finally made it onto TV, it was unedited. That's how amazing this movie was. And that was was a big thing because so much in this stuff, uh, obviously everyone's not going to agree with it. There's some nudity, horrible, horrible violence,
0: swearing. They show a concentration camp. He filmed it in black and white. And part of his reasoning was that's how we know that time period. Cause that's what the pictures were in. And the other, the other part of that is because he did that is that those concentration camp scenes feel almost brutally real. Um, and yeah, that's, he... that's what makes it, what makes it hard. It's kind of one of those things where I think even if you never watch this movie, which is totally understandable, um, I think you can we can also understand and maybe appreciate his reasoning for why he did it because I think it did shed a lot of light on people who who kind of understood that and some people maybe kind of tried to pretend it didn't happen, maybe. And uh it, it did happen and, and it also spawned the Shoah Foundation, a, a, a foundation that he created out of this that was um, Holocaust survivors found, you know, a Holocaust survivors foundation type thing, and and for their families. So, yeah, the probably his most personal slash powerful movie, and Liam Neeson gives one heck of a performance in it as Oscar Schindler. um He got overlooked. Didn't he?
1: Oh, yes, he did. <laughs> Actually, did I, Ray
0: Fine get overlooked
1: for his portrayal of I the. I think he was nominated. He's one of those actors who. I was honestly surprised he wasn't nominated for Skyfall when he showed up in that. <laughs> <laughs> because it seems like no matter what he does, well, obviously he was overlooked for uh, Harry Potter. And then
0: what does he get? Like a win for, like English Patient or something. Yes, and it's one like... of the. <laughs> One of the most disliked
1: Oscar winners of all time. Besides, like, Crash. <laughs> and Shakespeare in Love.
0: Yeah, so you just never know how that's going to work out. And that's and that's what we were kind of talking about. Where you kind of... Th- th- where it's kind of like sometimes the most memorable roles aren't the ones that win. Or even nominated. Uh, and so, yeah. Just kind of...
1: There are a lot out there, trust
0: me. But I guess... Just some takeaways for all you listening to this episode here is just that, um. Yeah, these you know these are just our opinions and and you know I give a shot. But another takeaway would be just like, don't let the year a movie came out deter you from watching it. <laughs> you know if it doesn't if the year it came out doesn't start with two thousand, <laughs> you know. Yeah, don't let that deter you. Or even 1990, you know, like, go back. There's, there, I mean, I feel like we do get some good performances these days, but you kind of forget what a great performance you yeah, know,
1: is. that's, that's the thing with the older movies. I, I said it earlier and I'm going to say it again. There was no CGI, no special effects. Uh, You just kind of had to show up, bring your A game. If you didn't, well, you were pretty much ridiculed, and
0: and that's the thing when there was a when those older movies were bad, they were just like, it was just like, noticeably and unwatchably bad. Yeah, because <laughs> the camera was focusing on you. you had to, yeah, yeah, you just it just failed. You had to bring people
1: in and make them believe what you were saying, and yeah to display the right emotion, it was intense, man,
0: yeah, and that's why today, when there is like a small drama made that is just relying on performances, um yeah, if the people are just bad, it's just not gonna work, and you know, and it was even worse, you know back in in those in that time period because it was like it was it was more on you, you didn't have some c g i suit you were behind for or whatever and or uh, or a bunch of things thrown in around you or something, and so I think that's one of the reasons why Christopher Reeve is
1: still considered the best Superman ever. It's just he showed up, gave it his all, completely completely absorbed himself into the character of
0: Superman, which isn't easy. Yep. And he, he pulled it off, and it was amazing. And, and he was one of the few, you could say, that was able to pull off Superman and Clark Kent. There's a yeah. lot of the superheroes where they're like, Well, they were good at the superhero, but not so much as the actual person. Or they were good as the person, but not so much as the superhero. Christopher Reeve was good at being the bumbling Clark Kent, but he was also the curl in his hair, smirk on his face, wink at you, Superman. You know, I mean.
1: Yeah. I mean, we we were talking about it earlier. Uh, Gene Hackman had won for The French Connection, and that's one of those actors who uh, he's not doing much now. He's he's calls himself retired,
0: he pretty much has.
1: Yeah. But his his roles from the seventies,
0: you can't really beat that. I mean Yeah. He was intense, man. Right, yeah. But yeah, French Connection and a lot of people like the conversation, or even if you think that movie's kind of slow, um he his performance is as good as the kind of the study stuttering introvert security expert (laughs) um yeah I just and so yeah that's that's kind of what we're saying And, and even in these epics you know like uh Ben Hur you know I mean Charlton Heston was still just gave a very compelling performance and this is from a guy who we know could do also just do something totally overacted and cheesy because he was the you know, the ending of Planet of the Apes got <laughs> is a little over. Oh, I thought you were going to bring up Omega Man. Well, and I was also going to bring <laughs> up Omega Man and Soylent Green. You know, but... Soylent Green's a classic, how but when you? He had, you? know, when he had this role in, in, in Ben-Hur, he could bring it. He could bring it, and he did. So, yeah, I think with that, though, we'll just go ahead and wrap up this show. So, like I said, just uh, check out these movies. You know, some some of the ones we brought up, I'll just run down some of the ones. I did Gladiator, Ben Hur, Bridge on the River Kwai. You know, we also throw out Patton, um, Saving Private Ryan, Dakota. What what movies did you kind of bring up? Uh, well, The Godfather, quite a bit. Uh, one and two. He brought up one and two. <laughs> Silence of the Lambs,
1: uh, Braveheart, One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest, Schindler's List.
0: Yeah. Um. And so yeah, hope you know, just check out these movies. And the other thing you should be checking out is our Facebook page. Hopefully you like that. And our, our, that's a good place to uh, converse with us and, and give us feedback. Slash if you have anything you think would you'd like us to review, throw it our way on the Facebook page. So yeah, like that. We give you news updates on there. Keep you updated on stuff. Also, um, subscribe to us. Um, with whatever way you're listening to us right now. So if you haven't subscribed yet, pause, click subscribe, and then come back. Okay. I'm going to assume you're back now. So, <laughs> um, thanks for doing that. Also on YouTube, you know, there's that little thumb, give us that little thumbs up, you know, if, if you, uh, feel so compelled to do so. But yeah, we we're happy and excited to hear any feedback you have for us. And we thank you for, Uh, listening to us we're now in the 30s for a number of episodes oh my god i never thought we'd make it yeah so that's pretty cool and so somewhere here down the road we'll hit number 50 we might have to think of something cool to do for uh number 50 so yeah see what happens so um thanks a lot for listening um yeah we'll see who uh who wins the the statues this year um like you said, there's a lot of kind of toss-up categories, and there's a few that people seem to think there's some sure things. We'll see what happens. So this is Stephen. And this is Dakota. Have a good night. Good night and good luck.